0: Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to welcome you uh, today, uh, once again, uh, to our 71st, uh, 75th, 75th uh, anniversary celebration. This is our our birthday uh, that we are celebrating. The actual day, if you've been with us, maybe uh, you will remember, is going to be this Wednesday, October 19th. 1947 is the very first uh, time that Southwinds met uh, as a church family down on uh, 10th Street, uh, just about a block or so west of City Hall. If you wanted to ever go check it out, you can see where it was. It's not a building there anymore. It's apartments, but that's where we started. And uh, because of that, as Chris mentioned, we're going to be having uh, just a a little bit of a birthday celebration between the services. And we're going to have cake and cupcakes and Just invite you to hang around for a little while and fellowship and enjoy things uh, with us. Uh, If you have kids, it would be real important for you to go get your kids really quickly so that those children's workers, volunteers can come and be a part of of the celebration as well. So I hope that uh, you will remember to do that. Well, we're here today to worship God. We're here today to study God's word. And today, uh, we are going to be talking about the treasure test. The treasure test. Do you know that uh, some scholars actually believe that there is more buried treasure in Israel, in the Holy Land, than in any other place on earth? Uh, Not too long ago, uh, archaeologists were digging at a site, a famous uh, ancient city of Megiddo, and they were unearthing, digging through the ruins of a home, and they found this clay jar. And they opened it, And when they did, gold and silver and rings and earrings just spilled out because someone had hidden this jar and it had stayed hidden for around 2,000 years. And this is just one of the buried treasures that archeologists have discovered all over the Holy Land, all over Israel. Actually, just about one month after that first discovery, uh, near downtown Jerusalem, excavators were digging a parking lot for a hotel, and they discovered, as they were digging some ancient Roman paving stones, and they were looking at them, and one of these paving stones was a little looser uh, than the others, and so they lifted it, and under this paving stone, they found this pile of gold and silver and coins and jewelry. There were gold earrings. There were beautiful rings that people had once worn on their hands, all kinds of treasure. And experts say that there is much more treasure to be found in Israel. In fact, there was an article a few years ago in the Jerusalem Post that said between 160 and 200 tons of gold and silver is potentially uh, locked up, buried under the Judean hills and the Negev sands, and their estimated worth today is over $2 billion. Quick show of hands right now, how many of you would like to book a trip to the Holy Land? Well, here's the the weird thing. Uh, Almost 100% of this buried treasure that's been being found in Israel comes from a few decades of our century. This is a, a part of the world, it's a part of the world where there's been human civilization for over 7,000 years, and yet when they discover these things, most of the buried treasure comes from just a couple, two, three decades in one particular century, and it happens to be the very first century around Jesus' time. Now, why is that? Well, there were different things that happened socioeconomically during that first century when Jesus was alive and then after he was alive. But in his day, at times during that first century, there was this problem and more and more people were getting more and more money and they had no place to put it. You see, what we think of today as money was a relatively new idea back then. And this is a picture of the most common coin. Uh, in Jesus' day, and and people in his era were just starting to use coins to pay for things instead of of bartering. But the problem was that they didn't have banks. (laughs) They didn't have places to put their coins, and as Israel was going through this time of economic boom, Uh, In fact, some scholars believe that Jesus' era was one of the most prosperous times Israel has ever seen. There was just this ton of wealth creation that was going on, and lots of people were getting lots of money without any place to put the money. And so the question for them began to be, well, what do you do with all that buried treasure? With that treasure? Well, uh, you either hide it or you bury it, but there's two big problems with buried treasure. And one of them is this, treasure gets lost. How, how many of you have ever lost something really, really super valuable to you, right? We've all had the experience. How many of you husbands have ever lost your wedding ring? Would you please confess right now so we can pray for you? <laughs> uh, we lose things sometimes that are treasures to us that are very, very valuable to us. And you know, if, uh, if, you, if you bury treasure, what, what can happen is that you, you might die, and you will die, but you may die without telling someone where you put it, and, and, and it gets lost. Or maybe somebody else finds it, or maybe someone steals it. So treasure gets lost. But then secondly, treasure gets people lost. And here's what I mean by that. Because of this social circumstance in Jesus' day, there were a lot of treasure hunts that were going on. People were getting really excited about, you know, exploring and trying to find buried treasure, and they all knew that there were people around them that were getting rich, and they knew that the only place these people could put their valuables was to dig a hole in the ground or to bury something under the floor of your house. And so people were constantly going around, digging holes, trying to dig up buried treasure. And and, and if you think about it, read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus actually tells a number of Different stories uh, about this so many people were looking for treasure that other people decided they could make money by selling those other people fake treasure maps, and so they kind of developed this you know cottage industry of people creating maps to the treasure that didn't go anywhere, but people would buy those maps because they thought that that they would be able to find treasure from them. In fact, this, this picture is of what's called the Copper Scroll. Um, the reason is it's, uh, it's made out of copper. Um, not real complicated, but it was made out of copper and it could be unrolled, and on this scroll, it was one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, on this scroll there was this code um, that gave supposedly directions to 64 different treasure spots. And most scholars today look at it and believe that this scroll was just a, a con, <laughs> just a con to make money off of treasure hunters. So treasure gets lost and treasure gets people lost. There are two problems. And so people in Jesus' day were asking, what do you do about those two problems? And in answer to the first problem, they asked, well, how can I keep my treasure safe? How can I protect it from thieves? How can I prevent it from getting lost? And then there was a second problem. And they asked, well, how can I find true treasure? Not false treasure, how can I find true treasure? And, and Jesus said, you know what, I can help you with both of these things. And he actually talks about both of these things in our passage for today. It's Matthew chapter 6. Uh, it's verses 19 to 24. If you don't have your Bible open there already, I'd encourage you to go ahead and do that. Get it open, either uh, that or turn your, your Bible on so you can follow along as we work our way through uh, these verses. But it's fascinating when you think about it that we are still today asking the same questions. We're still asking the same questions that they were asking back then. We're, at, we're saying, well, how can I invest best? How, how can I make sure my life actually pays off? How can I make sure that I'm not giving all of my time and all of my energy to some startup company that's just gonna fold, or I invest my life savings in some company that just gets sold and it's all taken away from me? And how can I keep from just losing my job and getting laid off? And, how can I make sure that my stocks are actually gonna help me when I retire? All kinds of questions. And what you're gonna see as we work our way through this passage is that Jesus gives us a, a treasure test that helps us with those questions. And there are three parts to this test. And, and each part has uh, two options. There's a, there is a couplet. There's two options, two ways you can go. And each of these two options demand that we make one choice. And if you don't choose what Jesus says you ought to choose, you will always inevitably be choosing the opposite. It's inescapable Now, before I get into this, because I can tell already, you know, I have this uh, kind of pastor sixth sense. I can tell that some of you are a little nervous because, like, Pastor Mike hasn't said it yet, but he's talking about money, which means he's probably going to talk about giving, which means I probably should put up the barriers right now, which means I'm not going to like this sermon. (laughs) Well, the main thing I want to say is like, if, if you're a guest with us today, especially, um, I hope you understand that I'm talking to the Southwinds family. I really am. And so if anybody needs to squirm, it's just the people that go to this church, or part of this church. And so Southwinds family, God's people, will you say? Yeah. Amen. Okay, okay. So you just ask for it. Um, You just asked for it, so I'm going to give it to you. But if you're not part of this church family, you can just relax and look around and watch everybody else squirm, okay? Deal? (laughs) So we're going to look at this test. It's a three-part test, and it has questions that help us answer the test for ourselves. So here's the first one. If you're on the app, you can take notes there. It, It says, this is the heart test. And the question that goes with the heart test is, have I put my treasure in the right place? And that's the first question that's getting asked here. Jesus says this, this is verses 19 to 21. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, a lot of times people read these words and they think Jesus is like opposed to like having anything, having stuff. Jesus, is, Jesus must be against saving or Jesus must be against investing. But I want you to look at that again. That is not what he is saying at all. Notice, Jesus doesn't tell us not to store up treasures. You see that? He doesn't tell us not to store up treasures. He actually does the opposite. He actually commands us To store up treasures. Do you see it? What what he's saying is this he says, Stop storing your treasures in the wrong place. Start storing your treasures in the right place. So Jesus commands us, and it's actually uh, both of those verbs there in that first verb where it says store, those are both commands in the Greek text. They, They are both commanding us to do something. Jesus tells us we are to start storing treasure in the right place. See, his problem Jesus' problem with amassing material wealth is not not that it's like morally wrong to have it, it's that it is a bad investment. Jesus says don't build your life around earthly treasure because it's vulnerable. He says the moths are gonna get it and you may be one of those people, like you only wear organic, locally sourced, environmentally friendly and sustainable fair trade fabrics that the Sierra Club and the Earth Day organizers would approve of. But just remember, Jesus says, where it's all gonna end up. Jesus says the moths are gonna get it. The word for moth is kind of an interesting word. It's the Greek word nordos. We get our word nordstrom from that. Actually, no, no, I just made that up. None of that's true. Uh, but, But it would be really fun if that was the case, right? See, some of our stuff, is going to end up going to the moths. And some of you are gonna get out sweaters, right, in the next couple of weeks or maybe a month or so, and you're gonna find that a moth is eating a hole in that sweater you love from last year and you can't wear it anymore. Moths get our stuff. It's vulnerable to, to loss. And then he says some stuff is gonna end up rusting out, it's going to rust out, and like in Jesus' day, people would think of something metal. But in our day, what we would probably think about is our, our cars. And part of the reason I would think about that, if you, you know, if you've never lived anywhere but California, this might not occur to you. But but I lived for a number of years in the Chicago area, and that is a part of our country where cars actually do rust and they do rust out. And one day when I was pastoring in a Chicago suburb, there was this article that I got out of the Chicago Tribune. It was about this car that was being offered for sale. It was a Rolls-Royce. And there were only 30 of this particular model that were in existence being sold in, in America. They said there were four of them being sold in Chicago. And you know what that price tag on that Rolls-Royce was? This was back in the 90s. It was $319,000. And the article said it it didn't even have a cup holder. (laughs) I I looked it up this week, and um, they sell, these models do, the most expensive models sell today Rolls Royces for over a million dollars. They they probably still don't have cup holders, so I I would never (laughs) buy one. Um, But Jesus says, one day, it's all gonna be a pile of rust. See, at the time I read this article, part of the reason it stuck, stuck out to me is uh, at the time I read this article, I was I was driving this almost twenty year old Mustang convertible, and it was actually rusting out, and there was actually a place on the driver's side in the floor. If you moved the mat, there was a hole, and um, I could actually like check road conditions out anytime I wanted. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I realized when I read that article, like, you know what, I'm, I'm just a Rolls Royce owner ahead of, of time, my time is all gonna rust, it's just all gonna be there one day. Because Jesus is saying, you know what, we are an eternal people, but in a thousand years, whatever you're driving, it's all just going to be a pile of rust. And no one is gonna ask you in heaven, what kind of rust is your pile? <laughs> You know, no one's gonna be able to say, well, I got a Tesla pile of rust. And then you have to say, wow, all I have is a Ford Pinto pile of rust. That's, that's for the older generation. The you younger people don't even know about those at all. You can look it up. It's on the interwebs. Um, check it out. But like in a thousand years, it's just not gonna matter, right? It doesn't matter if, you're, if you have Tesla rust or Pinto rust. It's all just going to be rust. Rust is just rust, and Jesus is saying, earthly treasure is vulnerable. It's gonna wear out. So if you build your life around it, you are building your life around something that will not last, that is not strong enough to sustain your life. He says, instead, be wise, be smart, store up treasures in heaven, treasures that will last. He said, it's only heavenly treasure that is strong enough to sustain the weight of a human life. And so the question is for you, is for all of us, are you storing up treasure in heaven? Because here is the truth. You're either storing it up in heaven or you're storing it up on earth. Everyone here right now, every one of you, without exception, you are storing up treasure. The only question is where? Are you storing up treasure in heaven Or are you just storing it up up here? You are already doing one or the other. Which one are you choosing? And you're you're never you're never going to be able to make the choice that Jesus calls you to make until you get what He is saying in verse twenty one. It's that last sentence up there on the screen. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is so very profound. See what we do with our stuff with our possessions, it always reveals the truth about our hearts. Anybody wanna say amen to that? It's just like Jesus is saying to us, you know what, show me your checkbook or your bank statement online since a lot of you don't have checkbooks anymore. Show me your visa statement open up your your Quicken app where you keep records of your money, how you spend it. He said, if you do that, I will show you where your heart actually is. Because what we do with our money doesn't lie. Uh, it is always just this bold statement to God of what we truly value. And, and it's true about me too. You know, honestly, I'm your pastor. I stand up here and I tell you what God's word says week in and week out. But if you wanna know where my heart truly is, you should not judge my spiritual maturity by the fact that I preach to you on Sundays. You know? This is just a, a gift and a skill that God has given to me and that I have cultivated it is an opportunity that you, as a Southman's family, ha- have given me. Don't, don't give me too much credit. You know, if you want to you wanna know where my heart is, you need to look at how I spend my money. Somebody might say, yeah, but have you ever seen Mike's Bibles? It's like... It's got all kinds of markings, and there's all kinds of colors in there, red and green and purple and and yellow and blue. He's got it all marked up. His Bible is so used. I mean, he's really into the the word of God, and and God would just say, eh, that's just colored pencils. (laughs) God says, look at his heart, and look how he spends the money that he has. Look what he does with his stuff. That's what Jesus is saying to all of us, but he's actually saying more than that. You see, what we do with our money doesn't simply indicate where our heart is. Jesus says it determines where our heart goes. This means if I want my heart to be in one place and not another, then I need to put my money in that place and, and, and not in the other because your heart will always be wherever you put your money, wherever you express your generosity, wherever your treasure is, it will not be where your money is not. See, if most of your money is in your house in your mutual funds, in your 401k, in your possessions or your, your hobbies or whatever, then that's where your heart will be. And I wanna stop for a minute right now because I know, okay, I really know what some of you are thinking right now. You think this is just a kind of a clever trick that pastors do. You know, it's a sleight of hand that they pull off to get at my money. And I want you to listen really really carefully. This is not just something clever that pastors say. This is reality. Money always leads, our hearts always follow. And you know why I know it's reality? Can can we just come back to what we're reading right here? I'm gonna ask you a question, okay? And I want you to give an answer, so be ready to, to speak out loud the answer. You're gonna know the answer, it's really easy. But those words right up there, who said that? Jesus. I, I didn't say that. Jesus is, is the one who, who says that. And, and so if you, if you find yourself resisting this if you're thinking like this cannot, just cannot be true. I mean, it's just not that big a deal. I wanna tell you that's your stuff talking. I wanna tell you it's actually your heart talking. See, the reason that we always get so tense about generosity and giving is because it is a heart issue. I can talk about almost any other issue of sin that the Bible discusses and everybody says, yeah, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll take that in. We'll listen to that. We'll think about it. But you bring up Money. And everybody gets nervous. Some people get defensive. Some people even get angry and say, I'm never going back to that church again. But Jesus says it's about your heart. It's about the very core of who you are. And I wanna ask you, if you see yourself as a Christ follower, a true follower of Jesus, if you claim that he is your Lord and your Savior, then I really want you to listen to what I'm about to say. God has said so very much in his word about money and about possessions and about material things. There's over 2,350 verses. Almost half of the parables that Jesus taught were about money money. Do you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell? When you think about that, then I wanna say this. It is impossible for us to ignore what Jesus has said about our treasure and still be a growing follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot do it. And see, some people think, you know, following Jesus like it's just praying a prayer that gets me out of hell, and then I gotta keep a few rules, That's what it means to be a Christian. The Bible says no. (laughs) No. Jesus is our Savior, and Jesus is our what? Lord. And if he is not Lord of all of our lives, then he, as someone said, is not Lord at all. We don't get to pick and choose where where we, we follow him. He is Lord every area of my life, every area of your life, and that includes your stuff, so have you surrendered your stuff to him? Now again, some of you, you're still thinking, I don't know about all this, Mike. You know, I, I think God and money, like, is sort of like God and politics. They're just supposed to keep them separate. You know, they don't really go together. So, why are you mixing this up? It just, it, it just leads to trouble. It just leads to trouble. They don't go together. And I, I want to just say, if you've ever thought of something like that, maybe you're thinking it right now, I have to say something to you. I want you to listen to this. The chances are in your life that you have already mixed up God and money. For example, if you have ever prayed that God would help you sell your house for $100,000 above asking price, then you have mixed up God and money. Amen? Yeah you you already, you already done it. <laughs> you know, when, whenever you pray, God, I hope they like our house and I hope they buy it. And, you know, even if that wasn't a, a, like, deeply meaningful prayer, even if it was just kind of that thing you throw out there, sort of like almost a kind of good luck prayer. You ever do those sometimes? You know, you just kind of throw them out there. Don't think about it too much. Like, and even if, even if maybe you're here and you're not even sure you believe any of this stuff, even if you're, you're, you're not sure there is a God and maybe what you prayed was something like God or like Jesus or Allah or or Buddha or Morgan Freeman or the force, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Um, Even if you said anything like that, you've already mixed up God and money. If you've ever prayed that God would give you a job, if you ever ever asked God to help her say yes, you've already mixed all of these things up. And I wanna tell you that's okay because God says it's okay to be mixing him up with money. God puts himself together with money. We cannot escape it. The truth is wherever our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. You know, the apostle Paul came to his senses one day in Philippians 3, 8, and 9, he said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may know Christ and become one with him. And so if you want your heart to be right, you have to put your treasure in the right place. See, again, sometimes people think Christians say that that." It's wrong to have stuff. The Bible doesn't ever say that. It's not wrong to possess things. What's wrong is when those things possess you. So make sure you're putting your treasure in the right place. That's the only choice. Here's the second part of the test. Let's call this the eye test. And the question here is, is my focus on the right treasure Now, Jesus says something kind of obscure here in verses 22 and 3. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of treasure. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? These verses are, are kind of hard to understand, but what Jesus basically is saying is this. Your actions always flow out of your perceptions, and he, he's using a picture of our eyes and how they function, and it's kind of like this. Just imagine a, a room that you're in, and that room is filled with light, and if the room is filled with light, you can see where you're going, right? But if the room is dark and you try to move around, you're probably gonna trip. You're gonna fall over something, But then Jesus is saying, well, what if you're in a room and the light's on, but you're blind? You can't see. He said, it's like your whole body is in darkness. And Jesus is saying, if your eye is bad or dark, then you're always gonna be walking around in darkness. You say, okay, I think that makes sense. but What in the world does that have to do with money? What Jesus is telling us is this. He's telling us that money blinds us. That that word good, your eye is good, has a double meaning. It it literally, that word means open. Uh, But it also carries the idea, this word of generous. And we see that in other texts in the Bible. On contrast, that word bad means evil. It's the opposite of open. It's the opposite of generous. And in the Bible, that's greedy. And when you put all this together, Jesus is saying that money can blind us. Let me, let me give you two, two reasons that this happens. The first one is that money blinds us to its influence in our lives. Now again, uh, most things that we do that are sin, we, we know when we're doing them that they're wrong, right? W- would you agree with that? Like, do you know when you're lying? Would you raise your hand if you know when you're lying? A bunch of liars here today. <laughs> Like, we know, we know, right? We know when we're lying. Um, you know, do you, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand on this one, so relax. Uh, do you know when you're lusting? Yeah, you know. Do you know when you're angry? Yep, I know when I'm angry because there's like broken things all around me and someone is crying, right? We, we know we we know when we're, we're we're sinning in so many areas you can just tell. But what about greed? You know, read the Gospels again. Jesus talks so much about greed, but I will bet that most of us have never read what he says about greed, and we've never really stopped and considered the possibility that he's talking about us. We just read that stuff and think, yeah, it's somebody else. That's Donald Trump. That's probably Jeff Bezos. Certainly, Elon Musk, you know we, we just think it 's somebody else it 's not about us, and Jesus talks about greed again, let me remind you way more than he talks about lust, and we all know we struggle with that, so greed must be an incredibly rampant sin, and yet yet we don 't really think we, we ever do that i 've told you this before, but <laughs> You know, as a pastor, I regularly have people come and talk to me, and they confess things that they've done that they're not proud of. Sometimes things they're very ashamed of. And I've heard confession about all kinds of different things. But to this day, in 35 years of being a pastor, still, I have not yet had one person confess to me, you know what, Pastor Mike, I'm greedy. Because we don't think we are. We are. We don't think we are. And yet Jesus warns against it. You can look up Luke 12, 15 sometimes. Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all forms of greed. We don't think we are because money blinds us to its influence in our lives. Secondly, money has the power to blind us to our lifestyle choices. See, we, we, we live in this culture today, especially when it's like, it's like, have you noticed this? It's all about the upgrade. There's always an upgrade you're always being offered upgrades. Doesn't matter the product, you know. You may have just bought the iPhone 13 and they're after you. Upgrade to the 14, right? I mean, you're getting the emails right? You're getting the texts and things about this. And whether it's phones or TVs or it's cars or maybe it's travel, it's houses, you can always spend a little more for an upgrade. And whenever we get a little more money, whether it is just a little bit of a raise or even a bonus or just a gift, we always immediately think, what can I get? I can do something with this. Now I can afford that, I can spend a little bit more. And the next thing you know, have you ever seen this in your life? It's like through thousands and thousands of small upgrades all the time. You're always maxed out. You're always living up to the edge of your income, usually a little beyond that. You feel like you never have enough. We are the richest people in the history of the world and most of us think we're not. None of us think we're rich. Because we're always looking around. We're always seeing someone who has just a little bit more than us. Have you ever asked yourself, the question is money blinding me to truth in my life? I'm going to give you a test. And this is going to be really fun, okay? So just get ready. You should take something to write this down because you're going to want to do this. Here's the the test, It's it's a question, do you regularly ask this question? And do you have any friends that you are willing to have ask you this question? And the question is this, am I spending too much money? You ever ask yourself that? Too much on my house, too much on my cars, too much on like electronics, too much on entertainment. Have you ever asked someone, how do you think I could like change things in my life so I would be able to live differently and be able to live more generously? I have an idea I think that will make life groups this week super exciting. Everyone, are you ready? Everyone bring a piece of paper with your, your, your yearly annual income and then your list of expenditures and then trade papers. Discuss. Pastor Chris, I'm telling you, life group attendance is going to plummet this week. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's coming to life group this week. But here's the question. Would you be willing to actually share with a brother or sister, someone you trust, what you do with your money, how you spend the money God has given you? And for most of us, the answer to that is like flat out no. No. We don't even wanna ask those questions and do you see the fact that you're not even willing to consider asking a question like that to be related to the fact that money blinds you to its influence in your life. This is what Jesus is talking about. Money makes you not want to ask. Money has that power. That's why Jesus sticks this kind of strange saying right in the middle of all this stuff about money and treasures because treasure, money, darkens our eyes and when our eyes are dark, how great is that darkness? And Jesus is saying either your eye is good or your eye is bad. Your choice is to either live in the light or live in the dark, to choose generosity greed. Third test. And this one is the master test. And the question is, am I using my treasure to please God? No one can serve two masters, Jesus says in verse 24. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus is just reminding us there's only one person who matters when you consider how to evaluate your life. You are to live your life for an audience of one. See, Jesus is wrapping up this whole talk about treasure by calling us to choose. He says you cannot do it. You cannot serve two masters. It is impossible. You're either gonna hate the one and love the other, which means you're gonna choose one over the other. You can't be devoted to to one and the other, both of them, you're gonna be devoted to one and you're gonna despise the other. It is impossible to serve God and money. You have to make a choice. And Jesus is saying we always make a choice. Everyone makes a choice. In fact, let me just make it really, really immediate. Right now, today, uh, this morning, where you're sitting, you are making a choice. I am making a choice. We're all making choices A great theologian, Bob Dylan, once said, you gotta serve somebody, right? (laughs) And so Jesus is saying, choose to serve God. His opinion is the only one that counts. He's the only one worthy of our affection and our devotion, the only one worthy of our worship. Your earthly treasure is not worthy for you to bow down to it. See, God examines our hearts. He knows what we're doing And it's like God is saying to us through Jesus, look, I know that your heart will follow your treasure. And God God is saying, I don't wanna compete with your stuff. I want your heart. And because I want your heart and your heart always follows your stuff, I want you to surrender all your stuff to me. Because once you surrender your stuff, your money, your savings, your retirement, whatever it is that you see as your earthly treasure, Jesus is saying, then I know I'll have your heart. And that's what he wants God says, I don't want your money. I don't want your stuff. I'm God. I, I can't even wear that. <laughs> and have you seen my house? I don't want your house. See, God doesn't want our stuff. God loves us, and he wants us. And and, and you, you, you might read that last statement about serving God in money and think, well, that's... Shouldn't that say you either serve God or Satan? Jesus is saying, no, that's actually not the real conflict. The real conflict, Jesus says, at the bottom of our spiritual struggles, the real issue that we all face in so many ways, it has to do with our stuff, our earthly treasures. You will have a master, and you will have to decide who you will serve. Will you serve your stuff? Will you serve your money, or will you serve your master? Will you serve protecting your stuff and ensuring your stuff and having more stuff and making sure that you always have enough stuff and that your kids have enough stuff and some of you that your grandkids have enough stuff? Are you going to serve your stuff and hope that I will help you, or will you surrender to me and trust me and serve me, you cannot have it both ways. See, the choice is this either I use my treasure to please myself or to please God, it's one or it's the other. Robert Wuthnell is a sociologist at Princeton. A few years ago, he wrote a book called God and Mammon in America. And some of you remember the older translation about money. It was translated right here to be mammon. And one of the things he says is that studies show there's little difference in the financial behavior of people inside the church compared to those outside And friends, one day, all of us are gonna stand before God and God's gonna ask us what we did with our stuff. And if we have lived our lives focused on our stuff, serving our treasure on earth rather than serving God in heaven, how are we gonna justify that? You know, I was thinking about this week and I, I thought, well, I guess we could say something along the lines. Well, I, that's pretty much, God, what all the other Christians around me did and kind of like they read the Bible and we went to church together. We all kind of did that. And so they were doing it, I did it too. And, and I was thinking, you know what? That didn't work with your mom, right? If you told your mom, well, everybody else was doing it, your mom would say, well, if everyone else was jumping off a cliff... Right? How many moms, you have? you've said that, right? You've heard that one. I don't think it's gonna work with God either, right? <laughs> so what should we do with our stuff, with our treasure? Well, here's some good news. Uh, I don't know who coined this. It wasn't me, but it's really great. It, it, they said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because it's spiritual Because it's right, no. Jesus is saying because it's smart. Treasures in heaven last forever. It's this logical argument. God is not against us storing up treasures. He just wants us to store them up where they will last. In other words, Jesus is telling us, relocate your treasures from earth to heaven. And if you've never thought about this, you ought to go back to that verse 19 and underline this phrase, for yourself. Jesus says, store up for yourself it's for your benefit, it's it's for your good. God wants us to act in what is really our self-interest. It's not only for his best and his glory, it's for our best as to. Now, one of the things I'm thinking, some of you are wondering, why, why, why is Pastor Mike talking about this today? Like it's happy birthday Sunday, I thought this was supposed to be a fun day. We're gonna have a party and I eat cake. Why, why are we talking about generosity? Well, I was thinking, you know, I could say, well, you give gifts at birthdays, and so talking about giving is, seems kind of appropriate. But also, I have been reading through this other book that I showed you a few Sundays ago. This is actually uh, the original Minutes records from our church. The first page is in September September 27, 1947, before the church actually launched, they had a meeting. They determined that the 19th would be the launch day, and they, they, they made a budget. Um, you know, they, they did some things to get ready. And as I was reading through these minutes, one of the things I discovered a couple years into the life of our church is that one of the founding members was a lady named May Brannon. And as I read what I can find about her. It appears that May was a single woman in her late 40s who lived with her brother, and her brother, uh, Robert Branning, was kind of one of the leaders of the church. Uh, It was in his home that the church had its original meetings. And what I read a few years into the life of our church is that May Brannon, single woman, I don't know what kind of work she did. I can't imagine that it made a whole lot of money as a single woman in her 40s in Tracy, California, in the late 40s. You kind of see where I'm going here. She was the one who gave the bulk of the money to buy our first property. And that just got me thinking. You know, our history as a church It's rooted in people being generous. When we've been our best as a church, not just 75 years ago, but 25 years ago, 15 years ago, and five years ago, when some of you were giving sacrificially so that we could actually build this building that all of us are enjoying today, when we've been at our best has been when we have Passed the treasure test. (laughs) When we have trusted God with what He's given us, and we have said it is more important to have treasure in heaven than it is to have treasure here on earth, it is more important to see lives changed. I mean, sometimes I think about this, and to be real honest, if I think deeply about it, it moves me to tears. But I am looking forward to the day when I meet people in heaven who have come to know Jesus because of something I gave, because of something I did, because of something I said, because of something in my life that made a difference to them. And I just want to tell you, that matters to me far more than a bigger house far more than a newer car, far more than a more expensive vacation, far more than a better retirement. I mean, you can just keep going with this, whatever. It matters more to me. And you know what I hope and what I pray? I hope and pray it matters more to you too. And you know why I pray that? Because I want you to be happy. You say, where do you get that? Well, I actually get that from Jesus too. Because Jesus was the one who said, you can look it up, Acts 20, verse 35. Jesus was the one who said, it is more blessed or happy to give than to receive. So Southwinds, let me say it again. We we say this often when we're talking about generosity. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. I don't want something from you as your pastor. I want something for you. I want you to be happy. I want you to be blessed and I am telling you on the authority of the word of God and on the authority of God's son, the only way that ever happens is when you give, when you're generous. This is God's word for us today, Southwinds. Happy birthday. Would you join me as we bow our heads in prayer? Father God, thank you for your love for us. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the grace you lavish on us, Lord, our our life, our salvation. Everything we have, Lord, we, we recognize in this moment it's all just pure gift that you, Lord, you give and you give and you give to us. And we ask that today you would help us to grow in gratitude for all your gifts. Lord, help us to grow into the same kind of lavishly generous people that you have made us to be. Lord, may we be a people who store up treasures in heaven, Lord, because we believe that you are better than anything, because we believe, as your son, our Lord and Savior Jesus said, that it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. And we pray these things now, Father, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said. Amen.